Hello and welcome. My name is Shannon Whitaker with Saltbox Church, and we are so excited you found us and are carving out some time for King Jesus. So I invite you to put your phones down, your to-do list away, and open your hearts to receive the Word of God. Good morning. Man, worship was good. It's good to be here. It's good to worship the Lord. Welcome on this Sunday. Fall is in the air. Come on. We are glad. Hurricanes are not hitting us. I am also glad. But we do have some waves. I'm also glad. Um, I am in, we are in the book of Acts. Um, I'm going to try my best to finish Acts 13 today. Um, it's a really powerful uh, sort of passage and journey. Uh, so we are going to um, start in verse 13. I'm going to read a few verses, and then we're going to pause. We're going to talk a little bit about the Apostle Paul, his identity um, in Christ, and even what could have been going on inside the Apostle Paul's head or his heart as he looks back. Um, and then we're actually going to take a look at, at a sermon. Paul's going to preach a sermon, so we're going to touch in on that. And there's one, I think, key thing that's going to emerge through this whole text um, that is, it's both imperative to understand, and I think it's transformational if we get our heads and hearts around it. Sound good? All right, amen. Here we go. So take your Bible. If you're scrolling on your phone, scroll on your phone. We're in Acts 13. I'm going to start reading um, in verse 13, and then we'll go from there. Here we go. Okay, Acts 13, verse 13. From Paphos, Paul and his companions. Now, this is the first time. Previously to this, it's always been Barnabas and uh, Saul. And now it's suddenly Paul and Barnabas and his companions sailed from Pergia, uh, Perga, excuse me, in Pamphylia, or sailed to Perga in Pamphylia. Now, Pamphylia is this low-lying, swampy area, so keep that in your mind, uh, where John left them to return to Jerusalem. Now, there's like so much in these, in these verses that, that I'm going to do my best to unpack it. But So uh, you have um, Barnabas, um, you have Paul, and you have this guy, John Mark. And so suddenly they've gotten on a boat and they've sailed from, uh, or they sailed to from Paphos to Pergia and Pamphylia, right? So we're sailing on a boat. We, they get off the boat. And then what happens when they get off the boat? John, bail, or, yeah, John, John Mark bails out. Um, and leaves them and goes back to Jerusalem. Uh, so there's so much there. Okay, we're just, I'm going to keep going, and then we'll come back to it. Okay, from Pergia, uh, or Perga, they went on to Pisidian Antioch. Now, this is different than the other Antioch we've been reading about. And you read that verse, and you're like, oh, that's so simple. Like, they, they just, it just says they went from Pergia to Pisidian Antioch. It almost makes it sound like they went next door, right? This is 100 miles away. Okay, and it's not only 100 miles away, it's up about 3,600 uh, vertical feet. So it's 100 miles, 3,600 feet. It's from the, the marshy coastland, not totally unlike Wilmington, North Carolina, all the way up into the mountains. So they, they make this massive shift. So let's keep reading, and then I'm going to try to unpack this. Uh, on the Sabbath, so what day is the Sabbath? It would have been Saturday, but kind of like our Sunday. They entered the synagogue and sat down. So a synagogue is just where all the Jews gather to worship, and they sat down. After reading from the law and the prophets, which is their Bible, by the way, because they don't have what? The New Testament, so they're reading from the Old Testament. The leaders of the synagogue sent word to them saying, Brothers, if you have a word of exhortation for the people, please speak. 
Verse 16, standing up, Paul motioned with his hands and said, people of Israel and you Gentiles who worship God, listen to me. So this is the first uh, one of Paul's sermons that's recorded in the book of Acts. I thought about just reading his sermon and calling it mine. That's about what we're going to do. But I want to unpack these verses because there's something really powerful here. And I was trying to go, Father, how do I even get our head or hearts around this to understand what you're doing here in this guy, Paul? And in order to do that, I want to tell you a piece of my story. Um, In 2008, um, I was coming out of a very um, dark and desperate place. I was in a, um, a process of sort of reestablishing my life. I was in a recovery kind of journey. I was reestablishing relationships with my family and friends and community. I'd become estranged. I hadn't seen anybody, everybody in a number of years. And I was re-enrolled back at UNCW right down the road here. I dropped out of school. And I, I had made a series of terrible decisions. And I'd gotten involved in a group that had made a series of terrible decisions. And I was sort of a wash, a mess in it all. And so I've just come out of that. And I'm, I'm sort of getting my head back around what's happened, who am I, who was I created to be, what am I created to do. Um, I'm back in school, and I went back to doing which what uh, the only thing that I really knew how to do at the time, which was mowing grass or landscaping. So I'm throwing mulch, I'm planting flowers, and we'd just gotten um, this new account. Um, I'd just gotten this new account. It was a maintenance account over off of Independence. I can't think of where I am in the city, but off of Independence at a place called the Marshes. It's actually, it happened right next to where Tim and Jen live. I'm pointing, this is their uh, daughter and uh, son-in-law. But it happened right next to where Tim and Jen live. And I'm, I'm, the, the day was, I'm, I'm mowing grass on this big walk behind, big red walk behind, and it has this little sulky thing you stand on, you know, and you ride. So I'm, I'm riding, and it's the middle of July. Um, so what temperature is it? Super hot, right? And I'm wearing a long sleeve shirt, gloves, a big, I wear this big, like, kind of lifeguard hat when I'm out there, and long pants, and I'm soaked to the bone, I'm dripping, everything is, you know, wet. And so I'm mowing along, and I'm around this uh, retaining pond, and this gentleman comes out um, of the building where your daughter now lives. And he comes out of the building, and he um, waves me down, and I'm, I've got a little bit of a chip on my shoulder. Um, I'm, like, full of shame, and I'm like, there's so much happening inside of my life. There's guilt. There's just negative self-talk. Do y'all do that? Good. Whoever said no, I'm glad. I, I, hope, I hope that's because you no longer do it. But, but most of us, if we're honest, have a lot of that. Negative self-talk. So all that's sort of going on inside of me, and this older gentleman comes out, and he flags me down, and he's no longer alive, by the way. He just went to be with Jesus last year, but he flags me down. I have no idea who he is. I reluctantly stop the machine and get off high, and he says, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm mowing grass. (laughs) And he says, no, 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 no. What are you doing? I'm like, I'm mowing grass, dripping sweat smelling not good. What do you mean? I'm, you know, and he said, no, 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 no. What are you doing with your life? And I said, look, I'm mowing grass (laughs) with my life. This is what I'm doing. And he said, no, now listen, God has a call on your life. God has a call on your life and you need to be doing something in addition to mowing grass. And I look back at him. I have no idea who this guy is. His name was Al Samino. Some of you may actually know him. He just passed away. But Al said to me, listen, 
God has a call and a purpose and a destiny for you. And I said, sir, you have no idea who I am. You have no idea what I've done. You have no idea the shambles my life's in. I'm not sure that God could do anything with me. You have a good day, and I'll see you later. And he said, hold on, hold on, hold on. As you go, I want you to think, I want you to think, if you were in ministry, what would you do? That's what last thing he said to me. I said, okay, bye, you know. So I start the machine back up, and I go on, and I'm just mowing. And um, all my negative self-talk and all my shame, and I, you know, finish that day and, you know, get all cleaned up that night, and I lay down in bed, and guess what? I can't sleep. And I'm staring at the ceiling thinking, if I was in ministry, what would I do? And it's like suddenly in it, I just began to kind of daydream. If I didn't have all this baggage, if I didn't have a past, what would I do? And I just started like, you know, I, I just started sort of writing. I sat up and I, and I wrote. And so all that week, I kind of just jotted some notes down. I just started thinking, what would I do? What would I do? And I kept thinking on it, and I ended up typing it up. And we were there the next week. It was like a Thursday. So we were there the next Thursday. And I happened to take this thing that I typed up and printed, and I folded it in half and stuck it in the back of my sweaty britches. And I'm, I'm driving again, and lo and behold, going around that same retention pond, and guess who comes out? Al. Waving me down. No shame. Al has no shame. He's in heaven listening now. What are you doing? Shut the machine off. Mowing grass. I said, but I wrote something for you. And I pulled it out, and I handed it to him. And I said, I got to go. I, I wouldn't even stay and talk. I was like, I got to go, I got to go. So I started the machine back up, and I, and I took off. And it wasn't but a couple weeks later that the, he was an elder at a church, and that elder board reached out to me and said, hey, come and talk to us. And I remember just, like, shaking. I was like, you know, when I went and met with that elder board, and I was super honest, just told him my whole story and what happened and how I'd gotten there. But here's what I want you to grab is when we have a past, when we have a story, um, when even we fail in the moment, when you feel like you are not doing or measuring up or succeeding or fulfilling or whatever it is, we often begin to labor under negative self-talk, um, shame, guilt, um, I don't measure up, I'm not good enough, um, I'm not educated enough, I don't know enough. I mean, come on, all the lies the enemy slings at us. And, and the enemy biblically is known as the accuser um, of of the body of Christ or the accuser of the brethren, which means brethren and sisteren. I don't think that's a word, but that's what it means. Um, accuser of the believers. So when we are in this life and we begin to hear things, um, if you're in Christ and Christ is in you and you begin, you're thinking things or hearing things that are not born of him, born of the scripture, um, then you have to go, this is not God, this is the accuser, Okay. So here's what I want to open up, though. Paul, um, who was formerly known Saul, and we, just, we did it two weeks ago, last time I preached on um, Acts 13, but he has just come to this spot where he's changed uh, what he goes by. So like his handle. You know, like on Instagram, you have an Instagram handle. Well, this is, this is Paul's handle, but previously his handle has been Saul, um, which, which is synonymous with great or like mighty. Um, it's a former king of the Old Testament, and 
and he is chosen to go by Paul. And it could be that, that, that his name was simply Paul, but it also could be that Paul means um, meek, lowly, um, humble, and he's chosen to go with that because he has now rejected the self-elevation and the grandiosity. He's now humbled himself, and he is accessing the kingdom, will, and way of God. The, the other thing, though, that I think is happening here that is so important is, if you will recall, and if you've been here for the whole time we've been going through the book of Acts, that at the beginning of the book of Acts, this guy Paul was going around persecuting believers. So at this point, we know from a couple different texts that he's at least killed several believers. There has to be more than one because that's the way he says it. Um, we know that he has chained up and imprisoned dozens and dozens of believers. He has probably beaten dozens and dozens of people within a shred of their life, removing all the skin off of their back. I mean, this guy is like a, um, he, he's like a brute beast. He has now had this encounter with God back in Acts, I think it's 8 and 9, uh, where he comes to Christ. Thirteen years have passed where God has sort of restored him and um, transformed him. Transformation takes time. Some of you need to be patient with yourself because transformation takes time. So 13 years later, we have the Apostle Paul sitting here, and all of a sudden he is on his very first missionary journey. Okay, So he's on this missionary journey, and as soon as he gets into it, and I think a, a sub-point, but probably a very important point, is John 21, or in John 20, verse 21, Jesus actually says, Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, this is Jesus talking, I am sending you. So I think the first thing that I want you to grab this morning as we're looking at the life of the Apostle Paul and how he's going to minister right here is Jesus was the original missionary. Jesus was the original sent one. Jesus was the original who actually left his home, left his throne, left his kingdom, and took on human skin, stepped out of heaven into earth, chose to be born as a peasant in this little rejected, uh, well, uh, Bethlehem where he was born wasn't rejected, but he was raised in Nazareth, and Nazareth is this little rejected place that was sort of despised and hated. He is poor, he's impoverished, so he steps out of um, his kingship eternal and into um, this little place, and he is sent on mission or as a missionary to go and reach um, everyone on the face of the earth. Make sense? Now, he flips around, and what's he do? He is sent. All right, y'all got to go with me here. Jesus is sent, and then he turns around and sends us, okay? So Paul is being sent in the same way uh, Jesus was sent. Now, you and I are also being sent, okay? Now, you may never and I may never, like, leave our home and go live in um, South America or Africa. Some of you have. I know a handful of you in the room who have, um, but you may never be sent in that same way, although you might be. Um, you may never have to leave in, in that sort of sense, but there is never going to be a day in your Christian journey where God doesn't send you from your place of comfort, from the security of your little shell and world, to step out and to minister in the gospel of King Jesus. Make sense? Okay, so we're all sent, number one. Jesus was sent from heaven, and then he sends us um, across the earth. Okay, now, we get in here to um, Acts 13. So from Paphos, Paul and his companions set sail to Pergia in Pamphylia, where John Mark left them to return to Jerusalem. Now, when bad stuff happens in your life, what's your self-talk start doing? Maybe God's getting me for the past. 
Am I the only one that does that? Maybe God is allowed this difficulty to just to get me or to hurt me or he doesn't care or he's turned his back. And we begin to like the negative self-talk can just like snowball inside of us. So the first thing that happens is John Mark leaves them. We don't really know why John Mark, um, arguably, in my opinion, John Mark was the one who authored the book of Mark based on the firsthand testimony of the apostle Peter. And John, it says he goes back to Jerusalem. What you may or may not know is John Mark's mom lives in or right outside of Jerusalem, and it's the epicenter or the probably unofficial headquarters of the New Testament church. It's where the upper room was. It's where Peter went when he got out of prison. So he, it kind of feels like he's running back to who? Mama. That's what it feels like. So something gets tough. John Mark is with them, and all of a sudden, he's gone. Now, verse 14, from Pergia, they went on to Pisidian Antioch. Now, if you don't know um, sort of the entirety of Scripture, there's some things in between this verse that you may not know. So I'm going to cross-reference Galatians 4, verse 13. If you don't want to flip there, that's fine. You may want to make a note. I'll read it to you. Galatians 4, verse 13. This is Paul writing to the church in um, Galatia, that's why it's called Galatians, and Pisidian Antioch, from Pergia, they went on to Pisidian Antioch, is in southern Galatia. Okay, so um, Galatians 4, verse 13, here's what he says. As you know, it was because of an illness that I first preached the gospel to you. As you know, it was because of a illness, okay, that I first preached the gospel to you. Verse 14, even though my illness was a trial to you, you did not treat me with contempt or scorn. Instead, you welcomed me as if I were an angel of God, as if I were Christ Jesus himself. Now, that phrase, illness, that first led me to preach the gospel to you, fits in back to Acts 13, verse 14, from um, Pergia, uh, which is Pamphylia. They went on to Pisidian Antioch. That, so illness, um, and almost all scholars agree on this. Illness is what drove the Apostle Paul uh, from Pergia to um, Pisidian Antioch. This is really important. All right, hang with me. Okay, so if you, um, there's a guy named uh, William Ramsey, Sir William Ramsey. I guess he was knighted. But he actually proposes, and almost all scholars agree, that Paul had contracted some sort of malaria from the low-lying marshes um, and the mosquitoes in Pamphylia. Okay, so uh, and, and he goes on to write that the the this the, the Greeks and the Romans were, knew this state of like chronic sort of malaria and these fevers that came back and they feared it because it was I quote here like a red hot iron bar being thrust through the forehead. Okay, so hang with me. There there's a um, you know I have a um, I have a Bible uh, translator friend and he actually has malaria. And it, I don't know if you know this, but malaria will continually come back. You don't know how long it sort of lies dormant, but then it can rear its head up. So what almost all scholars agree is right here, because the question has always been, why would Paul go from Pergia 100 miles away to Pisidian Antioch? Right? He's been sent on this journey. He's just going from town to town, like just little township to township. He's just hopping over a few miles, a few miles, and he keeps preaching Jesus. But all of a sudden, he goes 100 miles away. Okay, so almost all scholars agree that he has this uh, a state of um, malaria, and and he you know therefore goes. Now let me just open this up, and I'm gonna see if I can bring all this together because it's amazing if you can get your head around it. Okay, 
some people say that this is Paul's thorn in his flesh. A lot of people, actually, a lot of scholars. That's 2 Corinthians 12, if you want to double check it. But would say that Paul's sort of thorn in his flesh is that he had chronic malaria and it would rear its head back up. I think that's a strong possibility. I tend to be of the opinion, I share a guy named N.T. Wright's opinion, and N.T. basically suggests that it's at least possible that the thorn in Paul's flesh has more to do with his 10 years where he went back to Tarsus and shared Jesus with his father and mother, perhaps his spouse, perhaps a child, and was rejected by everyone. That's where I would probably land. But regardless, you could make a case for either side. So, Paul, um, now, go back to this moment, is on his first missionary journey. Okay, so he's on a missionary journey, he's preached, he's had a little bit of success. Suddenly, remember, he stepped out from behind Barnabas, so Barnabas was like number one, and he was number two, and all of a sudden you get this full role reversal, and and Paul, uh, now going by Paul instead of Saul, is now number one, so it's Paul and his companions, it's no longer Barnabas and Saul, it's now Paul and Barnabas and the rest of them. So he has now stepped into sort of first place, he has stepped out and received this calling and anointing that God has given him, if you will, and Suddenly, as soon as he does it, uh, number one, his right-hand guy, um, or at least his left-hand guy, John Mark, does what? Bye. Gone. And we're going to come back to this, but this is a huge point of contention for Paul. He is deeply hurt. In fact, he and Barnabas are going to get in this huge um, fight over it, and Luke does not make any qualms about it. We're going to see it in a few chapters because their friendship actually breaks um, over John Mark leaving. Uh, What's interesting is at the very end of uh, Paul's life, he actually calls for John Mark. So we know at the end there was reconciliation years later. But Paul was hot on this. I mean, he was deeply, deeply hurt. Okay, so now, not only is he being abandoned by one of his dear friends, betrayed by one of his dear friends, left by one of his dear friends, what's the other thing that happened? He's got malaria, searing headaches. He is absolutely sick. So I want you to think now, um, perhaps, Paul, I'm injecting myself into this scenario, and maybe you can inject yourself into this scenario, but perhaps Paul is sitting there sick in bed. Um, I spent some time in Africa, and I got really sick one time. I thought I had malaria for five or six days. I went to the hospital, and they said I didn't. But I certainly was not about to get up being that sick and walk 100 miles uphill to another town to preach Jesus. I'm just saying. But Paul is in this moment, so his good friend has now abandoned him. He is sick. What do you think his inner accuser, what do you think his self-talk is saying? Come on. You, you, yeah, you rascal. God has not called you. You were not equipped. You were not called. You were not anointed to go. This is, I mean, it all the whole thing is like, a caving in on him. And I think what we have to sort of open up is go, is it possible at this moment that Paul could have like cashed in his chips and given up and gone, well, okay, I'm going to go back home. Yeah. I mean, I think everything you've got to like get your head around. He is in a new place, a new city. He doesn't know people and he is faced with this immense opposition. And the question is, does he go forward or does he retreat? John Mark's already retreating. All he's got to do is go, hey, wait for me. I'm going to go get on a boat with you, and let's go back to your mom's house because she'll definitely take care of us. The food's a lot better there. And there's not these low-lying marshes, and hopefully my malaria will get better over there. 
Now, what I want you, um, and I even titled this message, um, Leading Through Limitations. And this Paul's sermon is what we're about to see, but Leading Through Limitations. So Paul makes this massive move. He gets up, he must be sick, and he takes this 100-mile journey, which could have taken, I don't know, 10 days maybe, Uh, We don't know how sick he was, but he takes this 100-mile journey. And so the question, I think, becomes, um, this is so important. Father, help me. God never, it doesn't appear, uh, and I don't know, but it doesn't appear from the text, that God spoke to Paul and said, go up to Pisidian Antioch. How did God get him there? Okay, let's back up. Paul's sick, he's in Pamphylia, the low-lying marshes, mosquitoes are everywhere, searing headaches, he knows he's got to go, John Mark abandons him, so he and Barnabas look at the map, there's mountains up here, it's away from water, there's no longer low-lying marshes, so where are we going to go? So they get up and they start on their journey. So number one, I think you've got to understand that Paul chooses to get up, face hardship, overcome it, but, and go all the way on this 100-mile journey up to Pisidian Antioch. But more importantly, there is nothing where God says to Paul, arise, I am blessing what you're doing, I'm calling what you're doing, and go up to Pisidian Antioch. No, no, no. God actually leads in and through the disease, the sickness, the brokenness, the difficulty, and the persecution. And some of you are sitting here today, like me, uh, and you may be going, what is this difficulty? What is this sickness? What is this persecution? What is this hardship? And has God abandoned me in it? And should I just give up and go back to Jerusalem? You hear me? So God sovereignly is showing up, and we don't know exactly, but somewhere inside of Paul and Barnabas, in their prayer time, in their worship time, in their sense of call, suddenly God Almighty is raising them up, and Paul is not only not shirking back from the difficulty, he's saying, not only am I not going back with you, John Mark, you little rascal, go on, run back, I'm going to go forward um, up these uh, 3,600 feet, up this 100-mile journey, and I'm going to face the pain of this, and if you can hear anything from me, church, today, Hear that God is a God who, if you will uh, follow him and bow your knee before him, he will use your hardship, your difficulty, your suffering, and even your disease to accomplish his will and way in your life and through your life. It's so good. This is like... um, I would actually say to you, and this, is, this chafes against most of what like Western Christianity like, teaches or preaches, but I would actually say to you, um, most Christians, young Christians, and many people even in the church, many professional Christians and preachers and people have this idea that you come to God and everything is like the stock market on a good year, you know, up and to the right. You know what I'm saying? But I would actually say to you a more accurate representation of the gracious hand of God being on your life, the presence of God being in your life, the call of God being um, on and lived out through your life is actually that you're in immense difficulty and suffering and challenges and even disease. And that if you can learn to trust God in and through it, he will take those things and he will use them for your good and his glory to accomplish his will and way and kingdom on the face of the earth. So there's this, there's this um, brokenness that I see in the larger, especially the American or Western church system, where we go, hey, you come to God and he's going to heal you and bless you. And that's true. 
But Paul is struggling with searing headaches and fever from malaria, and God uses it to establish his kingdom and to direct Paul on where to go next. To the degree that you are able to bow your knee before the king of glory and go, while I may not understand, while I may not like it, while I might feel rejected or left or have all sorts of negative feelings, while I might be tempted to even have shame from the past and give up and think you haven't even called me and I'm just going to go back to Jerusalem, if you can uh, follow him in and through even the difficulty, he will work it for his good pleasure and will in your life. It's worth it. Now, I am not saying everything is going to be difficult and God is not going to heal. I'm not saying any of those things. But I'm saying be careful that we don't make Christianity, we don't reduce it to like a little genie situation where we just go to God in prayer and, you know, help us God. No, no, no. God is going to meet us and walk with us. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. And if you allow him, he will work in and through your life to direct you even in the suffering, the pain, the difficulty, and even the disease. That's good news for somebody. I'm preaching better than y'all are responding. Somebody say amen or. Okay. So let me boil that down and say it succinctly. I think the true mark of a believer is not a life of ease, but a life of suffering. Because my Jesus went to a cross and died. Paul, finest theologian, carried the gospel from Jerusalem all the way to Rome and Europe, arguably greatest human that, that lived and preached, suffered, and God used it to establish his kingdom, his will, and his way. So make this practical. Some of you might be sitting here today and you're thinking, I'm suffering in this area or this area or this area or things are difficult. And I'm inviting you to begin to see that suffering through a different lens. Could God be getting your attention? Sure. Could God be disciplining you? Sure. Uh, could God be you know, working something out in your life? Sure. Could God be allowing something or could the enemy even be doing something in your life because his gracious hand is on you and he has a purpose for you that's far bigger than what you yet know? Yes. Come on. Okay. So if I said that also succinctly, I would say, God used Paul's limitations, his difficulty, his persecution, his sickness, and his disease to guide him. Let God guide you through your difficulty today. All right, let's keep going, um, and I'm going to see if I can bring this all the way back around at the end of our reading here. Um, so Paul stands up and he begins to preach. So now he is still sick. Remember how we just read in Galatians 4? Let me go back there, Galatians 4.13, and then verse 14, it says, Even though my illness was a trial to you, you did not treat me with contempt or scorn. Instead, you welcomed me as if I were an angel of God, uh, as if I were Jesus Christ himself. So we know when Paul first gets there, what? He's still sick. So we, we can almost say with almost certainty that when he stands up um, in, uh, so it's verse uh, 16. So standing up, this is Acts 13, verse 16, standing up, Paul motioned with his hand and said, people of Israel, you Gentiles who worship God. Now, I wonder if he had a searing headache and or fever on this day. We don't know. Listen to me. Well, maybe I should start my sermons like that. 
Listen to me. The God of the people of Israel chose our ancestors. He made the people prosper during their stay in Egypt. So this is like his sermon's introduction, okay? With mighty power, he, God, led them out of that country, Egypt. For about 40 years, he endured their conduct in the wilderness. He overthrew seven nations in Canaan, giving their land to his people as their inheritance. All this took about 450 years. So Paul starts with like a history lesson. After this, God gave them judges until the time of Samuel the prophet. Verse 21, then the people asked for a king and God gave them Saul, who's Paul named after? Saul, son of Kish, the tribe of Benjamin who ruled for 40 years. Verse 22, after removing Saul, this is why I believe that Paul chose to stop going by the name Saul. He said, I don't want to be associated with somebody that rejected God and whom God rejected. So he started going by Paul. After removing Saul, he made David their king, and God testified concerning David, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. Father, may that be true of us in this church. Verse 23, from this man's descendants, God has brought to Israel the Savior Jesus. So who's he descended from? King David. As he promised, verse 24, before the coming of Jesus, John, now this is John the who? The baptizer or the dunker. Um, John the baptizer preached repentance and baptism to all the people of Israel. Verse 25, as John was completing his work, he said, who do you suppose I am? He's asking them, do you think I'm the Messiah? I am not the one you are looking for, but there is someone coming after me whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. I love the humility there. Verse 26, um, and this is probably, so we have a sermon's introduction. We just did the introduction. There's like an Old Testament preparation. Now we're into the sermon's focus, which is the death and resurrection of Jesus. Let's read it. Brothers and sisters, from the children of Abraham and you God-fearing Gentiles, it is to us that this message of salvation has been sent. The people of Jerusalem and their rulers did not recognize Jesus. Yet in condemning him, condemning him to what? Death on the cross, that's right. They fulfill the words of the prophets that are read every Sabbath. I love this because Paul is preaching from his Bible. Always preaching from his Old Testament. Verse 28, and they didn't call it that, but that's what he was preaching from. Verse 28, they found no proper ground for a death sentence for who? Jesus, that's right. They asked Pilate to have him executed. Verse 29, when they carried out all that was written about him, they took him down from the cross and laid him in a tomb. Verse 30, but God raised him from the dead. Come on. And for many days he was seen by those who traveled with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, and they are now his witnesses to our Jewish people. Verse 32, we tell you that the good news, by the way, good news is translated gospel, so when I use the word gospel, it just means good news. Just Jesus is, it's the good news of the gospel. What God promised our ancestors, he has fulfilled for us, their children, by raising up Jesus, as it is written in the second psalm. This is Psalm 2-7. You are my son. Who's my son? Jesus, first of all. Now who are sons and daughters? We are, that's right. Today I have become your father. God raised him from the dead so that he will never be subject to decay. As God has said, I will give you the holy and sure blessings promised to David. He's quoting Isaiah 55, 3 there. 
So it is stated elsewhere, you will not let your Holy One see decay. Who is that? Jesus. That's Psalm 16, verse 10. He's saying you will not let your Holy One see decay, which means he will die, but he will rise again. That's right. Uh, If you're here and you're a doubter or question, this is fascinating to look back at the Old Testament and look at all the Bible prophecy foretelling the coming of Christ. Now, when David had served God's purpose in his own generation, he fell asleep. What's that mean? Died. He was buried with his ancestors and his body decayed. So Paul's saying David was not the the foretold Messiah. Jesus is, verse 37, but the one whom God raised from the dead did not see decay. In other words, he's saying, my king, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, this Jesus whom you guys killed is the one, is the Messiah who broke the back of death and hell and the grave and resurrected. Verse 38, and this is kind of, I would say, the sermon's conclusion. Therefore, this is like a three-minute sermon. Can you imagine if I preached a three-minute sermon? Maybe I should learn from that. (laughs) Therefore... (laughs) My brothers and sisters, I want, thank you, Nathan, I appreciate that. <laughs> it's my friend Nathan up here. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is set free from sin, a justification you were not able to obtain under the law of Moses. He's saying, we couldn't be good enough to earn salvation. We couldn't be good enough to earn right standing and holiness with God. No one could. It was only through the atoning sacrifice of Jesus where you exchange your brokenness for the life of Jesus in you and through you. It's why when I stand up here, I'm going to tell you stories more about my failures than my successes so that each of us can access the kingdom of God. Because when we come to this place where we go, it is not by my strength or my power or my goodness or my rightness or my great behavior that I'm going to gain entrance into the kingdom of God. It is through a relationship with the risen Christ Jesus. It is by exchanging my brokenness once when I come to Christ, but then daily again and again and again for the life of Christ in me and through me. That's the normal Christian life. And that's actually what Paul is saying right here. Verse 39, through him, everyone who believes is set free. That's what Missy was saying during worship. From every sin, a justification. And by the way, that's past, present, and future. A justification you were not able to obtain under the law of Moses. Take care what happened to the pro- what the prophets have said does not happen to you. He quotes Habakkuk 1.5 here. Look, you scoffers, wonder and perish. I am going to do something in your days that you would not believe, even if someone told you. As Paul and Barnabas were leaving the synagogue, people invited them to speak further about those things on the next Sabbath. Okay, let me pause here, and then I'm going to keep reading a couple more verses. Okay, so Paul um, preaches this sermon. Now, he's coming out of difficulty and hardship. He is probably in searing pain while he is reading this. Somebody in this room ought to take some encouragement from the fact that Paul is preaching the gospel. He is sharing Jesus. Um, He is preaching hope and salvation and life while he is in physical pain. Sometimes God heals us and delivers us from our physical pain. Sometimes God uses our physical pain, our difficulty, our disease, or our discomfort to further his gospel in and through us. Don't dismiss either way. So he comes to the very end of this sermon, and I, I love this about Paul because, in my opinion, he's throwing back to Deuteronomy 30, verse 19, which I'm going to flip there and read to you. If you don't want to flip there, just make a note. But Deuteronomy 30, verse 19, 
This is, what this, this is what it says. This day I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you. I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God, listen to his voice and hold fast to him. For the Lord is your life and he will give you many years in the land he swore to give to your forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Okay, this is what is happening. At the end of this sermon, Paul comes to this place and this is the spot where we would do like the altar call, you know, where we would go raise your hands if you want to give your life to Jesus. And and truthfully, I have mixed feelings about that. Do I think it's God? Yes. But if we give the impression that all faith and all a walk with Jesus is is simply raising your hand and then praying a few words, you are missing the boat. That is just like one step in a 10,000-mile journey. But it is, it comes from this area where Paul brings everyone through and he brings them to this like watershed moment. He's like, this day you can choose life, Jesus, or death and sin. This day, choose life. So the whole uh, point of what the Apostle Paul always does is he becomes um, almost like the Continental Divide. So anybody been to the Continental Divide? Yeah, come on, Western. There's also an Eastern Continental Divide. But the Western Continental Divide, if, if we were standing on it, and I'm looking like north to Canada, on the right side of that Continental Divide, water is going to Atlantic Ocean. On the left side of that Continental Divide, water is going to Pacific Ocean. Okay, so it is like that where Paul brings everyone to this point and he said, listen to me, choose life. I've set before you life and death, blessings and curses. This day, choose life. Choose Jesus. It's the same thing that we are called to do every time we stand up here and preach is bring people to a point where they take another step in their Jesus journey, where they surrender their life a little bit more, where they experience him a little bit more fully, um, or where they pray the prayer for the first time and go, Lord Jesus, would you forgive me? Would you forgive me for all my sin and my brokenness? Would you come in and live inside of me? Okay, verse 42. Hang with me. I'm reading a lot, I know. Some of you are like, oh my gosh, does he read this much every Sunday? As Paul and Barnabas were leaving the synagogue, the people invited them to speak further about these things when? Next Saturday, or in our case, next Sunday. When the congregation was dismissed, many of the Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas who talked with them and urged them to continue in the grace of God. Verse 44, I love this. So this is the sermon's consequences, okay? So we have kind of, you know, we got his introduction, his focus, his conclusion, but this is the consequences of his message. Verse 44, on the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. I mean, everybody came. If there's ever a biblical, like, document of 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 people going into a city preaching Jesus big, even in the middle of human suffering, perhaps fever and searing headaches, preaching Jesus big and sharing broadly. It is right here. And all of a sudden, who showed up? The whole city. And Luke is not given to exaggeration or inaccurate journalism. So the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. When, Jesus, when the Jews saw the crowds, they were, oh man, pastors and people do this all the time. They were jealous. How many people do you have? They began to contradict what Paul was saying, and they heaped abuse on him. So this is a week after Paul has just preached with his perhaps fever and searing malaria headache, and all of a sudden now what's happening? They're heaping abuse on him. Hey, Rick, you key in whenever you want. 
Okay, verse 46, then Paul and Barnabas answered them boldly, we had to speak the word of God to you first, the Jews. Since you reject it and do not consider yourselves worthy of eternal life, we now turn to the Gentiles, for this is what the Lord has commanded us. He's quoting Isaiah 49, verse six here, I have made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. Now, Check this. This is so cool. Verse 48. When the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and honored the word of the Lord, and all who were appointed for eternal life believed. Okay, so people are giving their life to Christ right here. Verse 49. The word of the Lord spread through the whole region. Okay, so now you've got to get this. Through Paul's suffering, through his fever, through his malaria, through his sickness, he trudges 100 miles up the big hill, up the mountains, all the way to Pisidian Antioch. And he gets there, and he is sick, and he is tired, and he doesn't want to perhaps be there, and he wants to give up, and he wants to throw in the towel, and he wants to quit. But he stands up in the middle of feeling sick, and he preaches to them. And then not only does he preach to them sick, but the next Saturday, the entire city shows up. And then he's probably still sick a week later because malaria lingers on and then not only does the entire city show up but a handful of days later the entire region shows up now you got to hear me church god is about healing and restoration and blessing and raising us up to life in christ but if you will let him work in and through your limitations and your disease and your difficulty he will use you and lift those things up to proclaim the everlasting gospel of king jesus what if Paul gave up? What if he said, it's too hard? My headache's too bad, my fever's too bad, I'm not gonna stand up. Well, I'm ashamed of my past. John Mark left me, he hurt my feelings, he betrayed me, I'm gonna quit. Is all that real? You better believe it. Could he have been disappointed with God? Yeah. Could he have been disappointed with the church? Yeah. Another leader hurt him, John Mark hurt his feelings. I'm gonna quit going to church because he hurt me. You hear me? Verse 49, the word of the Lord spread through the whole region. Now get this, and then we're going to tie it up. But the Jewish leaders incited the God-fearing women of high standing and the leading men of the city, and they stirred up persecution Against who? Sickly little Paul and Barnabas. And they expelled them from their region. They probably hauled them out. They may have beaten them or stoned them. We don't know. Verse 51. So they shook the dust off their feet as a warning to them. And they went on to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. There's a radical conclusion here, and it's that the joy of the Lord and the infilling power of the Holy Spirit is active regardless of your circumstances, regardless of the way you may be feeling today, regardless even of your self-talk that could be going on inside of you. And I would say you can take this to the bank again and again in the Bible, but God will use just as much as he uses your blessing, just as much as he uses your good health and your strength, he will use your weakness, your sickness, your disease, your difficulty, and your suffering to establish his kingdom and his will and his way. May we be a church that when things get tough, we don't give up. 
We don't get our feelings hurt. We don't gossip and slander and get ugly with people, but rather we stand up in the middle of our fever, in the middle of our searing headache, in the middle of our weakness, because this is a God who loves to use the weak things and the broken things of the world to establish and preach his kingdom, his will, and his way. Let's pray. Father God, I pray there's some people under the sound of my voice, here in this room, online, listening even in arrears, that are facing difficulty, suffering, persecution, disease, disaster. And Lord, I pray that in their situations that you would speak comfort to them, you would speak joy to them. And Father, I pray where they may be thinking that you've abandoned them or left them and using their suffering or difficulty or sickness or disease as proof of that fact, that they could begin to upgrade their vision, to see from a kingdom perspective that you may have allowed this thing in their life not only to prove them, but to establish your kingdom will and way on the earth. And Father, I pray that in this church and in this house, that there would be a group of people who would begin to see that sometimes when we are called and equipped and anointed and have destiny on our lives, that you allow things to get difficult. And when things get difficult, if we will stand up, you will work in it and through it. Church, will you stand up with me? We're gonna sing a closing song. I'm going to ask our prayer team to be available. If you guys will come up here and be available to pray with people. You might be here in some suffering, in some difficulty, and you want to pray about it. Come on down. If you're here and you've never surrendered your life to this Jesus, I'd love to pray with you. I'm going to be right here. We're going to sing a closing song, and then I will pray us out. Father, as we go from this place today, I pray that you would fill some of us, maybe even fill all of us, with the larger sense of your kingdom will and way, with the purpose and the identity that we are sons, daughters, heirs, co-laboring with you. Father, I pray that you would cause your face to shine upon us, that you would cause us to know and sense your presence in our lives, that you would make us more aware of your gracious hand. And Father, I pray that you would allow us to be like Paul and Barnabas and preaching Jesus, sometimes with words, sometimes without, but living him out loud everywhere we go. Father, interact with us, change us, form us, and make us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. We have a salt box connect after this. If you need special prayer, we'll be up here. We love you, and more importantly, so does he. Amen. Thank you for listening today and being part of the Saltbox online community. If we can pray for you in any way, please leave us a comment below or connect with us through saltboxchurch.com. Remember, just Jesus, nothing more, nothing less.